0: soul in sad exile, was out on life's sea, so burdened with sin and distress, till I heard a sweet voice saying, make me your choice, and I entered the hip- I'm safe evermore I yielded myself To his tender hand my Lord I've anchored my soul in the heaven of rest I'll sail the wide seas no more the tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep in Jesus' I am safe evermore. Oh, come to the Savior. He patiently waits to save by his power divine. Come, anchor your soul in the haven of rest and say sail the wide seas no more, the tempest may sweep, or the wild stormy deep, in Jesus I'm safe evermore, I anchored my soul in the hay, I'll sail the wide seas no more The tempest may sweep O'er the wild stormy deep In Jesus I am saved
1: good stuff. All right. Well, again, we've been uh, dealing in our discoveries that revolutionize our lives, and we kind of kicked off this morning a, a section of that called the Bible, the Word of God. And again, last week we talked about creation, the work of God, and so we're just kind of moving along here, and we started it off this morning, and I said there's so much more that I had. I had 10 pages of notes this morning, and tonight I still have eight. And so anyway, we'll do the best we can to get through it quick. We've got a lot to get accomplished yet tonight, so much to get accomplished, but uh, again, we want to move quickly tonight, but we also want to be encouraged uh, by the Word, and again, what a wonderful thing it is to know that this Bible is the Word of God, amen? That's a wonderful thing, and I know I don't really have to probably preach too much of that to you tonight. You're, you know, you're the, uh, you're, you're the, um, I almost said peanut gallery, but I, I, I didn't mean it that way, you, I, you know, you say that, you get used to saying crazy things, but anyway, uh, you're the um, what do they call that? Preaching to the choir. To the choir. There you go. That's because I wanted to say cream of the crop, then I thought I don't know if that fits either. But uh, <laughs> preaching to the choir. There. That's it. Yeah, we're preaching to the choir tonight. Okay, so that's good. And uh, uh, we are literally preaching to the choir. There was a lot of choir members up here today, and we're preaching to them. So anyway, nonetheless. So anyway, uh, we're going to go ahead and have a quick word of prayer, and then we're going to jump right back in. we got the same outline from this morning, except I just put other in front of it. So instead of facts, I have other facts. Yeah. Yeah, see, so I I just kind of changed it around there a little bit. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you again for just these that have come out tonight. Lord, we're excited about what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing in our church. Lord, we thank you for every person that's been out, every person that's made a, a difference. Father, every person that's prayed and begged God for uh, those that are out witnessing and soul winning even. Lord, I know there are certain people, some men and women, Father, that, that pray daily, regularly for, for just those that are out soul winning, those that are making uh, calls on people. And Lord... What a blessing to see 21 souls saved this last couple weeks. And, Lord, just the the almost 5,000 doors. And, Lord, we look forward to, Father, that uh, just being multiplied this week again. But, Lord, again, that's up to you. We're going to put the results in your hands. We're just going to be obedient and go. And I just pray, dear God, you'd bless your people this week. And bless us tonight now, Lord, as we gather around your word, as we sit around the table, spiritual table, and as we glean from your table, and as we seek to, Father, eat the food off your table, spiritual food. Father, may you just truly nourish us and strengthen us and encourage us. We'll thank you and praise you for it. Now, bless your people. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so other facts then tonight. Other facts. You know, it's alarming, as we said already, to note how void our culture and society is of the scriptures. It really is alarming. And still even more alarming and more scandalous. Is it scandalous? Yeah, I think it's scandalous. I couldn't find that in my, in my dictionary. I was typing and kept coming up bad. And I thought, there is a word scandalous, isn't there? But nonetheless, uh, it, it's, it's more alarming. It's more scandalous. Uh, the overwhelming biblical ignorance of God's people. I mean, that's even worse. When we, we look at the culture and we say to ourselves, wow, man, well, they want nothing to do with God's word. And boy, they're so ignorant of the things of God. But unfortunately, more scandalous and more alarming is the ignorance of God's people. The uh, Barna Group, an American Bible Society, They note that for the first time that the number of those engaged, their definition of engaged is those who read the Bible at least four times a week and believe it is the actual or inspired word of God. Those that are engaged, and the number of those who are skeptical or agnostic toward the Bible. Now those they define as those who believe the Bible is just another book of teachings written by men that contains stories and advice. They're saying then that, that, that the number of those engaged And the number of those that are skeptical or agnostic toward the Bible is now equal at 19%. Now, what what they're saying is 19% of people that are polled say that that they're engaged. I'm I'm reading the Word of God four times a week. You know, I believe the Word of God is the... I believe the Bible is the Word of God. And uh, he says, but now, for the first time ever in their uh, polling, they've found that now 19% will say, we just believe it's a bunch of stories written by men. And that's something as a matter of fact, those classified as skeptics has nearly doubled from 10 to 19 percent in just three years Think about that 10 to 19 percent in just three years That's an alarming rate Bible ownership has decreased over the past two decades from 92 percent in 1993 to 88 percent in 2013 Talking about people that have Bibles in their homes between 2011 and 2013, those who mention the Bible as sacred has declined 6%. It was 86% in 2011, it was 80% in 2013. One fourth of adults, 26%, say they never read the Bible. Never. 12% read it less than once a year, and 10% read it only once or twice a year, not including times when they're at church services or church events. Now, you combine that segment, those, four, those three segments together, you come up with 48% of people who virtually don't read the Bible or read it just sporadically, hardly at all, throughout the year. 48%. That's a lot. The Bible, the Word of God, has lost its place in the lives of most adults as well. And again, uh, you know, uh, we see that in some of the uh, results that we're getting from some of these polls. The 2013 study revealed that slightly fewer adults believe the Bible is actually the Word of God and should be taken literally, word for word, when compared to 2011 and 2012. Those results in 2011 were 24%. In 2012, it was 22%. It's going down steadily. Steadily. Data from 2007 study conducted by Barna Group also showed a 4% point drop in those who believe the Bible is actually... Uh, is the actual Word of God now that's that's pretty bad a 4% drop that that you know when you consider the number of people that are in America if there's a 4% drop that's a ton of people now as a rule the the US uh, as a rule US adults show little interest in receiving input and wisdom from the Bible in various aspects of family life they show very little interest with uh, a and, and with a majority of respondents who say they're not interested in receiving input and wisdom of any of the topics listed, was 58%. I don't even want to hear from the Word of God. Could care less what it has to say. 58%. That's, that's pretty alarming, isn't it? Do you know what people want to hear about? They want to hear about death and suffering. There, there's more people interested in that topic, than the Word of God, than any other. They want to hear about marriage... They don't want to hear about social issues. They don't want to deal with problems in the face. The world. They don't want to hear about church or heaven or hell. Or anything. They want to, if, if they hear about anything, they want to hear about death and suffering. We're, we find ourselves in a very difficult spot, in a very bad spot. And unfortunately, these same statistics are affecting the church. Um, in spite of the fact that these numbers are all starting to decline although that, the, 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 as we talked about this morning, some of the results that we read this morning as well, all of those taken into consideration, it's interesting to note that the majority of adults consider themselves somewhat knowledgeable of the Bible. The majority of adults, 69%, <coughs> consider themselves moderately or somewhat knowledgeable about the Bible. And that, that's hard to believe when 48% don't want, want no advice from the Word of God at all. But yet 69% consider themselves somewhat knowledgeable about the Bible. 12% of adults say they're highly knowledgeable. 13% said that they're, 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 um, they're not uh, too knowledgeable. And only 6% said not at all knowledgeable. Isn't that amazing? Now, I don't know about you, but I found that to be an alarming statistic. When 69% of people think they're very knowledgeable or have somewhat knowledge of the Bible... But yet, we read this morning that there, there are people that believe that, you know, you know, God helps those who help themselves is a verse in the Bible. We got a problem. All right. So, we talked about other facts. Well, let's talk about other findings then. We're talking about, again, the Word of God. We want some proof now that the Word of God is the Word of God. And... Um, We noted a couple of things. We said there were two major categories that provide us with evidence and supports authenticity and the the authority of the Bible. We said internal evidence. Of course we meant the evidence that's found within the Word of God itself or within the Bible itself. External evidence. Evidence that's found outside the Bible. Sources such as archaeology, science, philosophy, possibly ancient manuscripts that are found. Now, we started talking about that and we said, okay, some of the internal evidence, we talked about self-proclamation, we talked about the Holy Spirit, we said transforming ability of the scriptures. Those were all internal. And finally, we concluded with that internal aspect of of, uh, uh, proof or evidence when we talked about the fact that there's unity in the scriptures. And so we spent some time talking about how unified the scriptures were, even though we noted that there were hundreds of topics that the Bible has covered, and yet there's no contradictions. In spite of the fact that there were 40 different authors at different places under various circumstances addressing a multitude of different issues, and yet there's cohesiveness, there's consistency. And Then we turned our attention to external evidences. And we talked about the indestructibility of the Word of God, how although it's they, you know, we've sought to, Many have sought to destroy it To, to totally annihilate it to, to discredit it It's still here today And we specifically dealt with Diocletian Who boasted before it was over with I have completely exterminated the Christian writings From the face of the earth And of course we know as we hold this book in our hand That's not true But the Bible has a number of enemies Doesn't it We think of Voltaire He was a renowned French infidel. He didn't believe in God. He died in 1778. He made his attempt to destroy the Bible as well. He boldly made the prediction that within 100 years, the Bible and Christianity would no longer exist. But Voltaire's efforts, like everyone else before him, fell short. In fact, within 100 years, the very printing press upon which Voltaire had printed his anti-God literature was now being used to print copies of the Bible. Isn't that something? And ultimately, Voltaire's house, his very house, was literally stacked with Bibles prepared by the Geneva Bible Society. The historian Reimer, he writes, quote, men have died on the gallows for reading it, and have been burned at the stake for owning it. Tortures too fiendish to describe have been visited upon delicate women and tender children for looking on its pages, yet in spite of the strongest forces that hell could unleash, and in the face of the animosity of tyrants and despots, there are more Bibles in the earth today than there are copies of any other book ever written by the hand of men. Isn't that good? Man, that's good stuff. So we see that the first evidence was indestructibility. And we turned our attention to archaeology, and we noted just a couple. Of course, we, we noted, uh, first of all, Adam's victory, or Abraham's victory over Chetalomer. We talked about the Battle of Jericho. And we noted that, that renowned uh, archaeologists make statements such as, quote, no archaeological... D- archaeological... Dis- archaeological... No. Archaeological... Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. I needed that right there, because I, I was way off base. No archaeological, there it is, discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference. So he's saying there's no controversy. There's no, 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 no problems there. And Dr. William Albright, we said, he wasn't even a friend of Christianity at all. He really wasn't a believer, but, but he was the foremost authority in Middle Eastern archaeology of his time. He said this about the Bible. There can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historicity of the Old Testament. And that's something coming from somebody that doesn't even claim to be a Christian. And so we noted Abraham's victory. We noted the battle of Jericho. But now we want to consider a couple of others. We think about the Hittites and that they were finally found. You say, what do you mean finally found? Well, Bible critics had long rejected that there was uh, any reference in the Bible to the Hittites. Matter of fact, they in their mind had, had said that, the, and from their opinion that the Hittites were simply a, a mythical group that had been kind of made up in the minds of uh, biblical writers. And uh, that opinion was received by a number of people, and it, it was a really kind of one, somewhat of a mainstay. Toward the end of the 19th century, however, Hittite monuments were uncovered in Turkey, and thousands of Hittite documents Revealing the wealth of information about Hittite history and culture were revealed as well. The centuries-old Hittite rubbish showed that they had a real and formidable power. They weren't some made-up group of people. They were one of the most dominant peoples of Asia Minor and the Near East. They exercised considerable control south into Syria and Palestine. Guess what? The Bible was right all along. Finally, science caught up with God. Not only that, but the Jewish captivity to Babylon was confirmed. You say, what are you talking about? That had to be a huge ordeal. I mean, Babylon, if you ever go to any real major um, uh, museum, it seems almost like culture starts with Babylon. You know, you know it's like that's the biggie, you know. Because, kind of, you know, of course, right before that was who? The Jews. Yeah, so I mean, you can't, you can't elevate the Jews because that would just kind of confirm the Word of God a little bit, right? So they start. it seems like they start right with Babylon, and Babylon's always this big. And yet, it's interesting, uh, they made some ridiculous claims early on that there had been no captivity of the Jewish people in Babylon. And um, fortunately, that was debunked as well. In 1935 and 1938, important discoveries were made 30 miles southwest of of Jerusalem uh, at a site that was thought to be ancient Lachish, a biblical city. Lachish was one of the cities, of course, recorded in the Bible as being besieged by the king of Babylon at the same time as the siege of Jerusalem. So it was being besieged. It was being attacked at the same time. They found 21 pottery fragments inscribed to the ancient Hebrew, which were unearthed in the latest pre-exilic levels of, of the site. Basically what they did is they found evidence of, 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 of messages being passed from uh, military commanders and their outlying observation posts. And those, those particular messages pictured the final days of Judah's desperate struggle against Babylon. Isn't that something? All along, critics and all along, people said, oh, well, that that never really happened. It did happen, obviously. And now they have proof of it, and they can't deny it any longer. It's funny how when they think they have, you know, a thorn in the flesh of Christianity, they make sure that you know about it. But I'll guarantee you you didn't read about that on the front page. Then also there's the finding of the Pool of Siloam. The Pool of Siloam is where Christ miraculously healed that blind man. Remember, he he, spits in, he gets some dirt and he spits in it He makes some mud and he sticks it on his eyes. And then he says, you've got to go wash in the Pool of Siloam. Well, again, the accuracy of that and the authenticity of that was questioned, again, by critics. But here's what the Los Angeles Times reported about this incredible archaeological find. Quote, scholars have said that there wasn't a Pool of Siloam and that John was using a religious conceit to illustrate a point, said the New Testament scholar James H. Charlesworth of the Princeton Theological Seminary. Quote, now we have found the Pool of Salome Exactly where John said it was. A gospel that was thought to be pure theology is now shown to be grounded in history, he said. Isn't that something? They found it right where it was supposed to be all along. I <laughs> mean... That's just a few examples. I mean, the scholars are wrong again. I, I, I wish I could have done this, but well, I can't, I'm not going to even say it because I'm going to use it in a future message. But you know, I'll tell you anyway. Uh, um, the, um, um, okay, I've got to slow down a second because my mind's here and I've got to change it to names. And you got to understand names are horrible for me. Keith Furtick said to me after the service, he goes, Preach, you know what you should have done with all of those things? He said, you should have got a video of LeBron James slam dunking a basketball. And every time you use one of those, you should have showed that up there, him going, wham, and go slam dunk. And I thought, that is perfect. I wish I would have thought, I wish I, I tried to, I thought if I finally had a little more time, I would find that thing and I'd have to talk to Brother Steve though, because he says that you have to have that ahead of time. But, um, uh, you know, because that kind of stuff's tough. You got to get it downloaded, you got to do this with it and all that. And so I didn't really have time to get that done today. But man, that would have been cool. What a slam dunk, right? That's a good slam dunk. The Pool of Salome. The scholars are wrong again. The Bible's accurate. It always is. It's always true. And those are just a few examples of archaeology that authenticate the historicity of the Bible. That tell us that the Bible is a book that's not just made up of a bunch of stories. It's history. It's an historical book. It turned our attention then to Bible prophecy. And Bible prophecy is the third of our, of our external evidences. And we said that, we've talked about a, a couple of things. We, we touched on it very briefly, actually. I never really got to these, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to them. But, you know, the Bible or prophecies in the Word of God are very specific. And, you know, again, you take um, men like Nostradamus, who claim to have hundreds of prophecies that have come true. If you would read the prophecies that he made, you're going to find that they're very vague, they're very unclear. They're not very specific usually. They're, They're kind of, it could mean something that it doesn't mean. Symbols and languages can be taken to mean a number of historical events if you really want to try to break it down that way. But that's not how the Bible is. Bible prophecy is very specific. Now, again, there's no other book in history like the Word of God. No other book that foretells specific events in the detail that it does, sometimes centuries before it ever even occurs. No other book like the Bible. And as we said, there's approximately 2,500 prophecies that we are, are contained in the Word of God. There may be a few here, a few there that, uh, that I missed along the way and that I've read about that somebody else missed. But about 2,000 of those we believe to have been already fulfilled, 500 or so waiting to be fulfilled, could be fulfilled in yours in my lifetime. Wouldn't that be something? We're seeing it happen on a daily basis. We're, We're seeing prophecy fulfilled before our very eyes. But we have these prophecies that are very specific and point to specific events. And boy, I'll tell you what, the likelihood of that happening is... Off the charts. Again, we talked about Micah, and we mentioned him very briefly this morning. Micah 5 2, that, that speaks about the village of Bethlehem where the birthplace of Christ would be. He wrote that 700 years before Christ. And it was indeed fulfilled exactly like he shared it. That was to, and the likelihood of that, the possibility of fulfilling that is 1 in 10 to the 5th power. That means five zeros behind it. That's a lot. In the 5th century B.C., a prophet by the name of Zechariah, he declared that the Messiah would be betrayed for the price of a slave. How much was that? 30 pieces of silver, right? But not only that, but he ultimately said that the money would be used basically to buy a burying field, to bury people that were foreigners outside the land. Well, guess what? Do you know that he was paid 30 pieces of silver? Do you know that they bought a, the field of blood, that they ultimately did exactly what the Scriptures taught? Someone says, well, they just tried to keep it together. No, you got to understand the men, who, the men who, who could have possibly had something to do with this, they're the ones that didn't want Jesus to be elevated at all. If anything, they could have given him 31 pieces. But they gave him 30, even though it aligns itself perfectly with the book and would only later on proved that the Bible prophecy is true. They hated Christ. They wanted him dead. That's why they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And they were the ones that were supposed to know the Word of God better than anyone. The probability of this particular prophecy being fulfilled was one in 10 to the 11th power, 11 zeroes behind it. Now that's a lot. Now I took probability in college. Just a, a little bit. I took a small course in it. It was, it was just not very probable that I'd ever make it to being a scientist, so I went ahead and backed away from that. But that's complicated stuff. That's complicated. 1 in 10 to the 11th power. And then another one. Some 400 years before the crucifixion... Before crucifixion, crucifixion... Wow. I'm having problems with that. I wonder if I've inherited that. But anyway, um, some 400 years... <laughs> Some 400 years before crucifixion was even invented. Sorry, Dad. So, um, (laughs) both Israel, Israel's King David and the prophet Zechariah described that the Messiah's death, they described the Messiah's death and they did it, I mean, almost, they did it amazingly. I mean, it was so close, so accurate. Um, Again, in most cases, legs had to be broken, Right. Because, you know, crucifixion took a long time. So legs had to be broken. As a matter of fact, the two thieves that hung on each side of Jesus, their legs were broken. Why? Because they were still alive. But Jesus had expired. Do you know that one of those prophecies is that he would not have a broken bone in his body? And as a matter of fact, one of those prophecies said that he would have a spear in his side. And he did. I mean, it's just amazing when you consider these prophecies in the Old Testament. 400 years before crucifixion was even invented or used they were sharing these prophecies that fit Jesus. (laughs) Amazing. Again, miraculous. The prophet Isaiah, he foretold that a conqueror by the name of Cyrus would destroy Babylon and subdue Egypt, along with the rest of the known world. That same man, said Isaiah, referring to Cyrus, would decide to let the Jewish people return back home without payment or ransom. Do you know that Isaiah made that prophecy 150 years before Cyrus was even born? And yet, it was fulfilled to a T. I mean, the Bible, I mean that, oh, by the way, uh, the probability of that, 1 in 10 to the 15th power. Can you imagine that? I mean, he uses names. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, the Bible is the Word of God. We have prophecy. We have archaeology. We have the indestructibility of the Word of God. We have so many things that point to the Bible being a unique and a very uh, a divine book, even. Not written by mankind. I mean, 40 different authors over 1,500 years, different situations and circumstances. And yet, the Word of God lines up perfectly. There's no contradiction. It points to Christ in every situation. And it ultimately, every prophecy that's put in this book is fulfilled to a T. Man, what are we really looking for? How long do we continue to say, is it God's Word? We think of the foundation then. And I didn't get to this this morning, but very quickly. First, the foundation. If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? We know that foundation refers to the Word of God. You know, the Word of God is precious. Take the time to go over to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Turn there if you would very quickly. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. It's precious. There we read about a young child by the name of Samuel. He would ultimately minister to Israel. He'd become a great prophet, priest. He would ultimately anoint the first king of Israel. Go on to anoint David, a man after God's own heart. Notice here, as a child, the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1-2, through And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. It came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. Now again, notice, notice again. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. It was precious because it wasn't so available. Do you know what? We have so many Bibles today that sometimes I think we take them for granted. We have access to the word of God so often that I'm not so sure that we don't just say, well... I could read it anytime. It's available to me anytime. We've almost been so saturated with the Word of God that we just believe somehow, well, we're, we're, we're godly people. And I'll tell you what, I believe today God's not speaking like He was. You want to know why? Because it's not, he's not, His Word's not considered precious anymore. Do you know when God speaks to my heart in the Word of God? When I'm really seeking Him, looking for Him in this book. But you know what, when I just take it for granted, I just read through my Bible reading, I don't get a whole lot out of this book. When I really consider it precious, when I consider it valuable, when I recognize the fact that it's from God, it's His Word, not just a man's Word, it's not just my Word, it's not anybody's Word, it's His. Man, all of a sudden it makes a difference. See, if there's no Bible, then we remove God's voice. No Bible, and we remove God's vision which is his purpose and his plan for us. See there was the word of the lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And what it's saying basically is listen, they they lacked direction. They needed some direction. They didn't hear God's voice in those days. Like we can hear God's voice today. And, and you know what? They didn't know which direction God was going at times. They had to seek Him out, and sometimes they heard the voice, sometimes they didn't. Fortunately, Samuel came along. But listen, today we have a Bible, the Word of God. And then I mean to tell you, we, 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 we can hear His voice as we read through it. We can be instructed by Him and encouraged by Him, and, and we can find out what God really wants for us, what He wants for our universe, what He wants for the world, what His purpose is for our existence. It's precious. But the word of God's powerful. You know, the word of God is responsible for creation. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. Every time God spoke, something was placed into the it, it, you know was was created. And that's the very word we hold in our hands. This is the word of God, too. It's very powerful. This brought the worlds into existence. This brought the universe into existence. And the Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, The word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and morals, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We know that that, again, we talked about this morning, but that Bible, this book that we call the Word of God, is a two-edged sword. And the Bible teaches us very clearly that it is quick. It makes things alive. It's powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to the heart. It reads the minds and the hearts of mankind. You may go ahead and pull the wool over my eyes. You can pull them over your husband or wife's eyes. You can pull them over the eyes of your co-workers and friends. But you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. He knows your heart. And he searches it through this book, the Word of God. And boy, it's a powerful book. It transforms and it changes lives. And finally, the Word of God is permanent. It's permanent. And in the book of Psalm, turn one, to Psalm chapter 119, 160. The Bible says, thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. It's true from the beginning. Every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Psalm chapter 119, verse 89, just a few verses back. <clears throat> says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Man, I mean to tell you, we've got a Bible that's settled in heaven. What that means is that the original's not here. It's up there. Again, I grow weary of this thing. Well, you know, the, accurate, uh, the only accurate Bible we ever had on earth was in the originals. By the way, that was a copy. That's It was a copy of the one that was in heaven. God says not only does he give us his word through inspiration, God breathed, but he also preserves his word from this generation forever. Glad we have a Bible that's the word of God. Amen. The word of God. I'll tell you what, we, we need to hold on to this book. We live in a generation and age where we're trying to dismiss it, discredit it, and ultimately destroy it. But you know what, as Bible believers, we can't allow that to happen in our life for sure And we ought to stand up and let the world know we still believe it's a book that's a heavenly book, a divine book. It's God's Word. And you know what? We can go ahead and let science buffalo us. We can continue to allow them to tell us that there's no proof that the Bible's reality. But the fact is is that science continues to only catch up to where the Bible's been all along. There's so many things we talked about. Brother, Brother Mark talked about that in creation versus evolution. And he talked about some areas where the Bible... for Thousands of years had already taken a state a a position, and finally science caught up to them. I mean, it's the same here. Archaeological findings. (coughs) Just praying this morning, uh, this afternoon before the message, Brother Rick mentioned in his prayer that there's findings every day. Just just digging up uh, their their sewer system over there in in in, uh, um, uh, Israel or over there in the Middle East. Just Renovating and renewing some of the Properties and stuff that they have there They find things, unearth things They continue to prove that this book Is the word of God And that is exactly true That's so true We have a Bible It's the word of God Let's make sure we hide it and uh, Hold it in high esteem Let's make sure we give it its just due Make sure we allow it to have Its preeminence in our life This is God's word the very word that created the universe and put man on it, this earth itself, we have access to every day of our life. God help us. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all you do for us and all you mean to us. Bless us now, Lord.